All right, Graham. Well, we're so happy to have you on the show today to discuss your new book, Magicians of the Gods, and the new evidence that a comet may have ended one of the oldest civilizations in ancient history. So this book is actually a sequel to your very popular book, Fingerprints of the Gods, where you discuss the theory that human civilization may be older than we previously thought. I'd like to start by having you, if you would, speak briefly about kind of just the most important parts of this general idea for people who mm -hmm. aren't at all familiar with it. Yes. Well, the most important part of this general idea uh, is that cataclysmic events brought the last ice age to an end. Geologists have been aware for a long time about an episode called the Younger Dryas, which unfolded between 12,800 and 11,600 years ago. 12,800 years ago, the world was still in the Ice Age, but it had been coming out of it. There had been a warming trend for thousands of years before that, and ice caps that were perhaps three miles deep on top of the northern half of North America and the northern half of Northern Europe had been reduced to perhaps two miles deep. And the temperature of the Ice Age was at its coldest at the last glacial maximum about 21,300 years ago. And this warming trend in the thousands of years that followed is, is very clear in the paleoclimatological records. But then suddenly, 12,800 years ago, global temperatures plunge again. And they drop down to pretty close to the coldest that they ever were uh, during the Ice Age. This then lasts for 1,200 years until 11,600 years ago, when global temperatures suddenly shoot up again, equally remarkably, a very dramatic increase in temperature, far beyond anything that we're discussing in terms of global warming today. Um, th this episode, known as the Younger Dryas, after a particular kind of alpine flower that flourishes in extremely cold conditions, um, was accompanied by very large-scale extinctions of uh, animals, particularly the megafauna, the, 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 the woolly rhinos, the, the mammoths, the mastodons, and so on and so forth. There were huge extinctions at that time, with the most severe extinctions in North America, but they're documented really all around the world. So it's a rather mysterious period, a sudden plunge in temperature, a sudden rise in temperature, animal extinctions. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, back in the, the early 2000s, a, a group of scientists set themselves to uh, investigate this. They, they include include people like James James Kennett and geophysicist uh, Alan West and, 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 and many others. There's actually more than, than 30 of them. And what they found was a, a distinct layer in the soil, which is now being referred to as the Younger Dryas boundary, uh, which contains evidence of um, continent-wide wildfires of soot and of ash, uh, and also of nanodiamonds, which are which are created by the tremendous shock and heat of cosmic impacts and evidence for temperatures over a wide area in excess of the boiling point of quartz, about 2,200 degrees centigrade. This combination of materials is last found in association with large-scale animal extinctions 65 million years ago at the, at the Cretaceous tertiary boundary when the dinosaurs were made extinct. And we know now that the extinction of the dinosaurs was caused by a cosmic impact. There's still 
argument about whether it was an asteroid or a comet. Um, the recent evidence suggests strongly a comet and that it was about six miles in diameter and we know that it's smacked into what's now the Gulf of Mexico partly overlapping the Yucatan Peninsula. So we have two episodes widely separated 165 million years ago at another 12,800 years ago just very recently in the backyard of history uh, which which bear witness to cosmic impacts with these impact proxies that are found uh, that are found in the soil and that are accompanied by animal extinctions and, and the team who've been working on this and we can call them the Younger Dryas uh, Impact Team really um, have been publishing their material in scientific journals since 2007. The first piece came out in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences somewhere around September 2007 and they published dozens of papers since then in the Journal of Geology, the Monthly Notices of the Royal Astronomical Society, many more papers in PNAS and, and so on and so forth. Um, documenting uh, a massive series of cosmic impacts, they are quite certain from fragments of a large comet uh, that uh, caused the beginning of the Younger Dryas 12,800 years ago. Uh, of course the case is controversial. Uh, this, this has been subject to rigorous uh, peer review. There have been many, many uh, attempts to refute and uh, criticize the notion that it was large comet fragments uh, impacting primarily the North American ice cap that caused the Younger Dryas 12,800 years ago. But what I've, one of the things I've done in Magicians of the Gods is to try to put this material in a palatable form for the public, um, a, a readable form rather than the rarefied air of scientific journals, uh, and also to look both at the criticisms uh, and at the evidence presented by the Younger Dryas Impact team themselves. And what strikes me is that although many attempts have been made to refute the evidence, uh, every one of those so-called refutations has been refuted in its turn uh, by the team. And I document this whole, this whole process in the book. And I would say, particularly with the discovery of craters recently in the northeast of North America, the Corosol crater, the Bloody Creek structure, and so on, that this is as close to a signed and sealed case as we're ever likely to get. And, and my project um, really has been to consider, and I think in Magicians of the Gods, this is the first time anybody has considered this, to consider the implications of this new science for our understanding of human history. Uh, because the timelines of the origins of civilization that we are all taught in schools and in universities and that are reflected in the mainstream media haven't yet had time to catch up with this new science and yet now we know that we have an extinction level global event just 12,800 years ago right in the foundations uh, of what I call the house of history the, the 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 beginning of the process that led to civilization and 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 I believe that this extinction level event previously undiscovered requires us to reconsider everything that we've been taught about the origins of civilization and that we must consider the possibility that not only mega mammals were made extinct during the Younger Dryas Cataclysm, but that also we lost a whole advanced civilization from the record, one that haunts the memory of mankind, that is spoken of in many myths and traditions uh, around the world that is frequently described as having been destroyed in a, 
in a global cataclysm, often involving flooding. This Plato story of Atlantis is one of those accounts. And all these accounts have been dismissed by archaeologists up till now, but I don't think they can dismiss them anymore now that we have science uh, confirming an extinction-level global cataclysm between 12,800 and 11,600 years ago. And last but not least in this quick summary, uh, we are also finding archaeological sites uh, discovered uh, re really since the mid, since the second half of the 1990s, like Gobekli Tepe in Turkey, and like Gunung Padang in Indonesia, and I can tell you more about them if you want, which cannot be explained by the existing model of history. They require a higher level civilization to have existed during the Ice Age in order for these accounts to, to be explained. Thank you. Um, there are many points I want to go back to and questions I have for you. I'd like to start by talking about what historians and archaeologists believe that humans were doing 12 to 13,000 years ago when this comet is thought to have hit, because they weren't forming civilizations then, or, or at least not, not in our... Not according to the, the, the model of the origins of civilization that right. is taught in our schools and universities now. Um, if we take that, that, that model, that timeline of the origins of civilization, then 13,000 years ago, our ancestors across the whole planet were, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> uh, our, 13,000 years ago, our ancestors ac across the whole planet according to the mainstream timeline, were simply hunter-gatherers, mm -hmm. uh, nomadic uh, hunter-gatherers who did not yet have agriculture and who had formed no fixed settlements. Because they didn't have agriculture, they were not generating the kind of surpluses that allow specialists to emerge, for example, stonemasons and astronomers whose skills could be applied to the creation of large-scale architectural sites. And, and this has been the view of archaeology up to now. Now, if I can just make a point there, in the world that we live in today, we have an advanced civilization. Uh, you and I are part of it. Uh, it's a technological civilization and it's global in its distribution. However, it does coexist on the planet with hunter-gatherer peoples. There are hunter-gatherers in the Amazon Basin, for example, who actually don't even know we exist, uh, mm. un uncontacted tribes. There are hunter-gatherers in the Kalahari Desert, uh, who are still pursuing uh, a hunter-gatherer lifestyle and certainly not a set settled agricultural, uh, agricultural lifestyle. So the notion of an advanced technological civilization of any kind coexisting with hunter-gatherers shouldn't be too alien or strange to us because we do it ourselves. And this is what I'm suggesting was the case during the Ice Age, that we've missed uh, a whole episode uh, of the human story that there was something that should be rightly called a civilization uh, during the Ice Age. I, I, I'm not saying that they were flying in rockets or, or, or uh, you know, speaking to one another on cell phones, but I'm suggesting that they were far more advanced than the hunter-gatherers who also lived in the world at that time, and that it was this advanced civilization which was primarily impacted uh, by the cataclysmic events that unfolded uh, during the Younger Dryas. And again, if such a series of events were to occur today, if the Earth were to be struck again by fragments of a giant comet uh, with cataclysmic effects, humanity would certainly survive, but I don't think our advanced technological civilization would survive. We're far too 
specialized. We depend on, on multiple interlocking specialisms. Very few of us actually have survival skills. Um, and and uh, contrary to the surface appearance of a very strong and sturdy society, I would say modern technological civilization is in fact quite fragile. And recent events like Hurricane Katrina have demonstrated that we're very poor uh, at dealing with natural cataclysms and that they do begin to unpick the fabric of society quite quickly. I think Western technological civilization would fall apart very, very rapidly. But those who would not fall apart, those who would survive such a disaster would be the hunter-gatherers because they are masters of survival. That's what they do every day. Um, and, and they would get through it and it would be they who carry the story forward. And, and you know, who's to say 10,000 years from now that their descendants might not be telling a story which many might regard as a myth based on no truth whatsoever of a great advanced civilization that once lived on this planet that actually could send men to the moon, you know, that could fly aircraft through the sky. We could speak to one another on the other side of the planet, but, but it was destroyed uh, in, a global, in a global cataclysm. And that's really what I think happened 12,800 years ago as well. Okay. And for you personally and for people generally, why is it so important for people to understand this history? I mean, it strikes me that people are very drawn to this topic. Your first book sold, what, over 7 million copies. It clearly strikes a chord with people. Well, I can only guess at that. Uh, you would have to ask my readers. But, but, my, but my, view, my view is that a great many of us have a feeling that something's missing from our story. There's a there's a feeling of a gap, a feeling of a feeling of uncertainty, uh, a, f a feeling almost of something amputated. I, I I often refer to us as a as a species with amnesia, uh, and that actually comes from Plato's account of the lost civilization of Atlantis, uh, which was uh, destroyed and 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 submerged in a in a global cataclysm, according to Plato, um, around 11,600 years ago, um, and and Plato tells us that after that cataclysm, uh, mankind had to begin again like children, mm -hmm. with no memory of what went before. Now, Plato's ideas of Atlantis have, of course, been derided by archaeologists who are convinced they know the whole story of humanity uh, and who are convinced that there could not possibly be any lost civilization that they somehow haven't found yet. Uh, but what's interesting about Plato's account is actually the date that he that he puts on it. He, he says that it happened 9,000 years before the time of Solon. And Solon, the Greek lawmaker, lived in 600 BC. So Plato's talking about 9,600 BC, which is 11,600 years ago. And 11,600 years ago is the second spike of the Younger Dryas Cataclysm. That's when global temperatures shot up. There was a massive collapse of the ice sheets. We have a huge pulse of meltwater going into the oceans that geologists call Meltwater Pulse 1b, around about exactly 11,600 years ago. So if Plato did make the story of Atlantis up, you know, he was astonishingly on the money uh, with, uh, with the latest science. So what I come to is, yeah, I think we are a species with amnesia. I think a lot of people know this. And I think these haunting accounts that have come down to us from antiquity uh, of a former episode of human civilization, and they're found all around the world, 
by the way, these accounts. There's an almost identical story in India associated with a lost land called Kumari Kandam uh, that was submerged by the sea. And again, the date put on that is 11,600 years before our time. Um, the, these, these myths and traditions have, have entered into the collective consciousness of, 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 of humanity. They're the only memory we have uh, of a time uh, b b before we became what we are. And, and uh, I think they haunt us and I think that's why people want to know. It's very difficult to, to really make your way forward confidently into the future if you don't know where you came from. I, I think it's important that we have as full a record as possible uh, of, our, of our past. And uh, right now, I don't think we're getting that record in the schools and the universities. I think, at any rate, the story of the origins of civilization is going to be re need to be rewritten in the light of this new evidence. Just thinking about the record that we have from these ancient civilizations, it sounds like a lot of the memory of this, the kind of cultural memory, is coming down through myths and through stories. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. as you mentioned, there's kind of worldwide myths about the Great Flood. Are there similar myths about a comet? Yes, there are. Um, there, there are uh, quite a number of myths uh, about a comet um, amongst the Cowichan Indians, so for example, the Native Americans, and I report some of those in the in the book, the comet with the long white tail that burned up the earth, um, that was associated with the destruction of huge animals that were said to be, in some way, uh, evil. This story is is a, is a widely told story, and Plato's account of Atlantis is prefaced with an account of thunderbolts from the heavens. He, he says it's a, a mythical version of the truth. He tells the story of Phaethon uh, seizing the chariot of the sun and how the chariot of the sun falls off its course and thunderbolts strike the earth. Um, and then he tells the story of Atlantis. So, yeah, I mean, really quite quite widespread and, and widespread also uh, memories, recollections of uh, the outcome of this. There are many accounts around the world of a kind of black bituminous rain falling from the sky. That's precisely what you would expect to happen with a comet impact, especially on an ice cap, uh, where you get a, a, a huge amount of watery debris chucked up into the upper atmosphere with a lot of earth and dirt in it as well as as well as water uh, which enshrouds the earth creates a time of darkness and 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 then is followed by a prolonged rainout um this is described also in many ancient myths and traditions it's just that up till now historians and archaeologists have looked at all of those things as as fantasies uh, and haven't considered the possibility that they may coincide quite directly with the geological record and that's why i say nobody's really done this before I wrote Magicians of the Gods. It's to correlate this, this new evidence on global cataclysmic events between 12,800 and 11,600 years ago uh, with the story of the origins of civilization. So um, clearly humans survived this impact, right? Clearly. But the civilizations did not. What exactly do you imagine made the civilization fail? I think primarily, if you look at the world during the Ice Age, the best real estate was along coastlines. The best real estate was along coastlines, and uh, those coastlines are now submerged beneath uh, 400 feet of ocean. Uh, 
um, the sea level rose 400 feet at the end of the Ice Age. We lost 10 million square miles of land around the world uh, as, as, as a result of that sea level mm. rise. And that's roughly the size of Europe and China added together. I mean, in the Ice Age world, there was no Red Sea. There was no Persian Gulf. Uh, Sri Lanka was joined to India. Australia was joined to New Guinea. Um, the Malaysian Peninsula and uh, the, the uh, Indonesian islands were part of a huge continent-sized landmass that, uh, uh, that, that geology just called the Sunda, Sunda Shelf, and, and all of this went down uh, at the end of the Ice Age. It's partly why, for an earlier book, a book I published in 2002 called Underworld, that I spent the best part of seven years scuba diving all around the world, following up fishermen's tales and divers' stories of strange objects and ruins on the bottom of the sea. Um, I, I think that's where the, the, the bulk of the evidence lies, and I think, I think that's why it was this advanced civilization preferentially that was destroyed uh, and the hunter-gatherers that, that, that survived, uh, adding to that point that the hunter-gatherers, as they do today, probably had much better survival skills than the civilized individuals. But in the particular case of Gobekli Tepe in Turkey, was in your book you say it was deliberately buried, um, and that's yes. not on a coastline. No, no, that's not on a coastline because I don't think that was the that was done before the cataclysm. I think that was done after the cataclysm. The dating is the dating is very clear on that. My whole point in Magicians of the Gods is that there were survivors of the cataclysm, mm -hmm. uh, and that uh, some not not perhaps a large number, uh, and that these survivors uh, made it their project to attempt to restart civilization. And the places they took refuge were amongst the hunter gatherer peoples of the world at that time. Uh, and one of those places was uh, Anatolia, southeastern Turkey, where in the second half of the 1990s, the German Archaeological Institute uh, stumbled across a site that is single-handedly uh, rewriting history. Uh, this is a giant megalithic site, megaliths meaning big stones, a, a site like the famous one is Stonehenge in England. The problem is that Gobekli Tepe is 50 times bigger than Stonehenge and 7,000 years older. Uh, and whereas Stonehenge um, is the product of an agricultural settled society generating precisely the kind of surpluses you imagine you would need to create a site like that, Gobekli Tepe is not. It just pops up out of nowhere with with no background whatsoever no 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 explanation of to how it appears it just suddenly appears in an area that that archaeology has has held was entirely populated by hunter gatherers prior to that and i think archaeology is right i think the inhabited inhabitants were entirely hunter gatherers but i think that the survivors of a lost civilization settled amongst them and undertook a transfer of technology and that transfer of technology included the skills necessary to create a very large megalithic site 7,000 years ahead of its time, uh, and also to teach them the skills of agriculture, because 11,600 years ago is when agriculture suddenly begins to spread uh, all over that very region uh, of, of Turkey. Now, I have made several visits to Gobekli Tepe, and I was lucky enough in 2013 to spend 
three days with Professor Dr. Klaus Schmidt of the German Archaeological Institute who discovered the site and, and who excavated it. And, and he it was who, to, who told me that in his view, Gobekli Tepe was a, a center of innovation. He's very struck by the way that agriculture suddenly appears at the same moment this huge megalithic site uh, is established. And what I take from that is that this is precisely what the survivors of a lost civilization would do. They would create a large-scale, ambitious, beautiful project uh, which would be used to induce the local people to come in, uh, to, 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 to take part in it, to be part of it. And in that process, they would teach them all the skills that they had to, that they had to transfer. And yes, Gobekli Tepe was deliberately buried after running for about a thousand years. And again, this is, this is not Hancock. This is the German Archaeological mm -hmm. Institute. You can find it in their reports. There's no doubt that it was deliberately buried. It wasn't some invading army that came in and smashed up the megaliths. Uh, they weren't just left to decay. A huge effort was made. Teams of hundreds of people with buckets effectively filled with, you know, rubble and, and earth came along and, and poured, poured them into the, the, these enormous stone circles and completely covered up the pillars, which in some cases are about 20 feet high, uh, and then didn't stop there. They, they, they actually created an artificial hill over the top of the whole site. And that is Gobekli Tepe, the pot-bellied hill as it's been known. And then for, for 10,500 years, nobody ever saw that site again. It was completely untouched by the hand of man until the German Archaeological Institute found it. Uh, and, and that's why we can be so sure of the dating. I mean, of course, you can't carbon date stone, but you need to carbon date organic material. And often in archaeological sites, there's a danger that you're looking at um, falsely young organic material that's been introduced by later cultures. But with a sealed site like Gobekli Tepe, you can rule that out. And that's why the German Archaeological Institute is so sure uh, that the foundation of this site was 11,600 years ago. And that is the date that Plato gives us for the submergence of Atlantis. It is the date of meltwater pulse 1b, and it is the date of the end of the Younger Dryas when global temperatures suddenly shoot up uh, and, and uh, the world that we live in today begins to take shape. Do you believe that Atlantis might have actually existed and been submerged, and, or that there could have been other cities that were submerged besides Atlantis? Certainly, I believe that uh, Atlantis existed, the, the place that we call Atlantis today. But we shouldn't forget that the Atlantis story, for which the sole source is Plato, is one of hundreds of such stories that are passed down around the world. I mentioned to you a moment ago that there is such a story in India. And, that, and there it's called, the lost land is called Kumari Kandam. It's part of what's called the Sangam tradition that you can learn about in Tamil Nadu in southern India, where I've spent a great deal of time. And the Sangam tradition uh, reports that India once extended much further south into the Indian Ocean than it does today. That is a fact. During the Ice Age, when sea level was 400 feet lower, India did indeed extend much further south into mm. the Indian Ocean than it does today. And the Sangam tradition says that an advanced civilization flourished there with universities with uh, philosophy, with literature, um, but that this civilization was destroyed in a global cataclysm that submerged that land 11,600 years ago. Uh, so it's pretty much exactly the same story as Plato's story of Atlantis is just given another name. So let us say Atlantis by any other name. Let it stand 
for a lost civilization of prehistoric antiquity, uh, which was uh, all but wiped out in a global cataclysm, leaving a few survivors who attempted to restart the spark or the fire of civilization in a number of places uh, around the world. What made you first start thinking that human civilization might be older than we think? Was there something unexplained by the current explanations? Well, it's been a process. It's been a process rather than a particular instance. I actually used to be all about current affairs. I was a journalist. By the way, I, I'm not a scientist. I don't, I don't claim to be a scientist or an archaeologist. I, I'm, I'm a reporter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a journalist, and my last uh, you know, formal role as a journalist was as East Africa correspondent for The Economist. And I was based in Nairobi, in Kenya, uh, and this was in the early 1980s, and I used to travel very widely around the region reporting all the stuff that was going on in East Africa in the 1980s, which included multiple wars and, and, and famines. And, and one of the countries that was on my beat was uh, Ethiopia. Uh, and in Ethiopia, I came across an extraordinary story. Ethiopia claims to possess the Lost Ark of the Covenant, as in Raiders of the Lost Ark, as in the Indiana Jones movie. And you know, my nose for a good story said, hmm, this is interesting, uh, let's, see, let's see what it's based on. I talked to lots of academics about it, and they said, yeah, we all know this, but the Ethiopians, they just made it up to aggrandize the Solomonic dynasty of which the last member was the Emperor Haile Selassie, uh, and that there's nothing to it. But As I started to dig around on the ground, I found out a number of puzzling things. Firstly, every church in Ethiopia, these are Christian churches, every one of them has a replica of the Ark of the Covenant uh, or of the tablets of stone said to be contained inside the Ark of the Covenant in its Holy of Holies. Um, And then I I learned that there is an indigenous Jewish population in Ethiopia, the the, the Falashas, they call themselves the Beta Israel. Um, And they practice a a pre-Rabbinic form of of Judaism. Um, They didn't know the the Talmud, they knew only the Torah. They had priests, not rabbis. They performed sacrifice, which is forbidden elsewhere in Judaism. In other words, a very ancient form of Judaism, frozen in, in amber, effectively, in the highlands of... Africa. And and, uh, I began to think maybe there's more to this Ethiopian story than the academics realize. And I I did nine years of of field work on the back of other things. I was still doing current affairs, but I was getting drawn into the mystery of the past. And eventually I wrote a book called The Sign and the Seal, a quest for the lost Ark of the Covenant that documents the Ethiopian case and that was published in 1992. While researching that book, I had to visit Egypt uh, because you can't separate the Ark of the Covenant from the story of Moses, and Moses is, we're told, reared in the household of Pharaoh in Egypt. So I go to I go to Egypt, and one day I find myself, as one does, in front of the Great Pyramid of Egypt, which you know weighs six million tons uh, and stands 481 feet high and has a footprint of 13 acres and is aligned to within three sixtieths of a single degree of perfect true north. Uh, And I read amongst the the archaeological literature that this is a tomb and a tomb only for a pharaoh uh, of the fourth dynasty. But then as I dig further, I find that not in any single one Egyptian pyramid, and there are more than a hundred of them, has any bona fide pharaonic burial ever been found. Uh, And it began to seem to me that the enormous effort and skill Uh, put into the construction of the Great Pyramid far surpassed the notion of it being a tomb for a megalomaniac pharaoh. And I suppose this, coupled with my earlier experiences in Ethiopia, was what made me increasingly skeptical of the story 
that is told to us by historians and archaeologists. Let's remember history is a story. It's often his story as well. Um, and and, and um, I, I began to feel that there was a role for somebody who could provide a thoroughly documented, well-argued, reasoned, thoroughly researched alternative story of the past, particularly since there is so much evidence that is ignored by the mainstream, which I think needs to be taken into account. So really, that's been my project for the last 20 years. Thank you. Um, okay, I think we're about ready to wrap up. Is there any last thing you'd like to say about your book or your work? Well, the one, the one last thing I'd like to say about the book is that the evidence for the comet impact is based on solid science. This is not fringe science. This is not woo-woo. This is mainstream stuff, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, Journal of Geology, and so on and so forth, thoroughly documented uh, in my book. Um, a group of uh, astronomers have been involved with this work, and they believe that the um, torrid meteor stream, which the Earth passes through twice a year, is the fragmented debris of the giant comet, fragments of which hit the Earth 12,800 years ago, and fragments, further fragments of which they believe hit the Earth 11,600 years ago. And by the way, the most recent impact documented out of the Torrid meteor stream was on the 30th of June 1908, the so-called Tunguska event, which fortunately happened over an uninhabited area of Siberia, but it flattened 80 million trees across an area of larger than the, than, than the greater London. Um, the, the point is that the Torrid meteor stream, in the view of these scientists, is still extremely dangerous. There are large objects in it. They estimate 100 asteroids in, a, in excess of, of one kilometer uh, in diameter, all of which are on Earth-crossing orbits, uh, and possibly one object that may be as much as 20 miles wide. Now, I don't mean to be alarmist about this, and I want to emphasize I'm reporting the work of others. This is not some fantasy uh, of Graham Hancock. Um, uh, but the point is that in their view, we are entering a rather dangerous epoch and that we should be paying much more attention to our cosmic environment than we are presently doing. This is not to raise fears of gloom and doom because the technology exists. We are probably the first civilization on, ever to exist on this planet that has the technology to actively intervene in our cosmic environment and to sweep that cosmic environment clean of dangerous asteroids and, and fragments of a, a, an extremely dangerous comet. But right now, we're spending hardly any money uh, on that space watch operation and doing hardly anything uh, about it. There's a huge complacency. On the other hand, we are spending hundreds of billions of dollars every year on weapons of mass destruction, on ever more sophisticated ways to murder one another, and on expanding the, the miasma of fear and hatred and suspicion that is circulating in the world right now. Uh, I think we've got our eyes off the ball. I think we should be paying a lot more attention to the torrid meteor stream, and I think it's a matter of responsibility that we should be doing what we can to make sure that the many as yet unidentified asteroids and fragments of comet that are out there uh, are identified uh, and that we make sure that none of them are going to impact the Earth uh, in, the, in the immediate future. And we have, as I say, the technology 
to do that. And if I can just finish on this note, it's interesting if we go back to Plato's story of Atlantis, that he says that Atlantis was once a great and good civilization dedicated to the nurture of spirit, that it was kind and, and generous, but that as time went by, it became corrupt and cruel. Uh, it began to project its power around the world and to make war on other peoples. It became overly attached to material goods. Um, and in a ringing phrase, it, it ceased to wear its prosperity with moderation. And that, Plato says, is in, in his view, is why the universe struck Atlantis down. Um, now, if the same kind of thing happened to the Earth today that happened during the Younger Dryas, I definitely don't think our civilization uh, would survive it. It would be the hunter-gatherers of the world, the meek of the Earth, who survive it. Uh, and 10,000 years from now, uh, they might well be passing down a myth about uh, a former great civilization that existed on this planet that could, you know, fly through the air, that could send men to the moon, um, but that um, ceased to wear its prosperity with moderation, that, uh, uh, that became overattached to material goods, that became arrogant and cruel, uh, and that was slapped down by the universe. So my closing thought on this and, and, and the closing message of the book is let's make sure we're not the next lost civilization. Thank you, Graham. I think we'll end there. Thanks again for being on the show today. Total pleasure to be with you. I've enjoyed talking to you. Once again, that was Graham Hancock. You can find more from him at GrahamHancock.com. For more from us, visit our website, grox.net, and tune in next week. For Charles Lee, Franklin, and the rest of the Grox crew, I'm Samantha Thomas. Have a great afternoon, and keep on grokking.